the key is to write. Start writing another book. In fact, when you first send a manuscript out, you should be, the day that you send a manuscript out, you should be working on something else. Because, of course, that helps you with the hope stage. We'll talk about this and much more today. Welcome to a Writer's Day podcast. Hello and welcome to my podcast. My name is Ruth Douthit and I'm an award-winning author of books for middle grade readers, a former writing teacher, and that's why I started this podcast, was to share writing tips and more about the craft with you and also to interview published authors for their writing journey stories. There's nothing more inspiring than listening to a published author tell us how they got into the business. So welcome. And for more information about me, please visit my website at artbyruth.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and be entered into book giveaways. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe or follow me on Spotify and other places that you listen to podcasts. I'd greatly appreciate it. I thank you for listening today, and you are in for a real treat, because we are going to listen to the amazing, prolific, talented author, Amanda Cabot. She is the best-selling author of Out of the Embers and Dreams Rekindled. Her books have been finalists for the ACFW Carol Awards, the Holt Medallion, and the Booksellers Best. Currently, she lives in beautiful Wyoming. You can learn more about Amanda Cabot at amandacabot.com. So you know the drill. Grab your favorite beverage, a comfortable chair, kick back and relax as we listen to Amanda Cabot talk to us about her newest book, The Spark of Love. Hello, everyone. Welcome to my podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have the amazing best-selling author Amanda Cabot with me today to talk about her book, The Spark of Love, which is in the Mesquite Spring series that I know you all are familiar with. So welcome, Amanda. Thanks so much for having me here, Ruth. I'm just delighted to be with you. Oh, thank you. So why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about yourself, your your writing journey, and then we'll talk about this beautiful book. Well, I've been writing since forever, or at least it seems like that. <laughs> My goal of becoming a writer started when I was around seven years old, and I loved books. I mean, they transported me out of a pretty unhappy situation, which was my family had moved from Texas to uh, the suburbs of Buffalo, New York, in the middle of the winter. I mean, mm. talk about shock, yeah. snow, you know, that cold white stuff. Um, and books were, I mean, they just gave me a whole new world. And I thought, oh, you know, it's so wonderful to read a book. Wouldn't it be fun to write one? Well, obviously it wasn't all that easy, but, um, I did manage my, set myself a goal of publishing my first book before I was 30. And one week before my 30th birthday, I got the call which said, we want to publish your book. So I did meet that and I've been writing ever since. I have something like 40 books, 40 novels, wow. and a series of novellas. And obviously writing is an extremely important part of my life. 
Mm. I love that. And seven years old. Wow, that's when your desire to be a writer came. That that's wonderful. What were your favorite kinds of books to read in your youth for this escape from, you know, the cold winter? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I, I've been thinking about that. And although I read and read in a lot of genres, that my all-time favorites were the ones that started Once Upon a Time. Mm. And so it's really not surprising that um, the majority of my books are historicals. I have written contemporaries, but I will tell you, that when I come back to writing historicals, it feels like I'm home. It feels like this is what I really should be doing, uh, writing historicals. So yeah, I've loved those Once Upon a Time stories forever. Mm. That's special. When you are writing your historicals, though, do you take into consideration the readers out there and what they might want to see in a historical book? Or do you just write from, you know, for pretty much for yourself? Well, I write for my readers. Um, and I know what they expect, which is they want accurate research and they want to become immersed in a different lifestyle. You know, we all tend to sort of idealize the past you know, we think, well, things were easier or simpler then. Well, they may have been simpler, but they weren't easier. I mean, really, would you want to live without central heating and indoor plumbing, mm -hmm. which is the reality of the 19th century? Mm -hmm. But um, my readers want to see characters who are realistic, but also realistic for the time frame, which means understanding a bit of how did people act then? Um, what were the social mores? What kind of etiquette was there? And I mean, it's it's quite different from what we're experiencing in the 21st century. There was more formality. And uh, as I said, readers, I believe, expect that from me. And that's mm. what they get. Mm -hmm. Oh, that is exactly true. In Phoenix, Arizona, I can't even imagine what it must have been like to live out here in the summertime without air conditioning. <laughs> I'm born and raised out here, so I asked my, my nana one time, uh, how did you all deal with it? And they lived in adobe houses, which were, it's a type of mud uh, right. brick, and they would spray it with water on the outside. And of course, they didn't have any windows, maybe one or two little tiny square windows, that was it. And that would help keep it cool at night on the inside by just moistening the outside walls the moisture would seep in into the inside. And I thought, wow, I'm so glad we have air conditioning now. <laughs> but what a fascinating tidbit. Now, if I wrote books that were set in a place where Adobe was common, I'd have to use that because I don't think very many people know that. I mean, I didn't until I heard it from you. So thank you. I just learned something. Sure, absolutely. It, it really is fascinating. I don't know how the folks out here did it, but the women, you know, with their petticoats and mm. it can get up to 120 degrees out here. You yeah. know, living in a house whew, without yeah. air conditioning, and God bless them, but it made them tougher. And do you feel that that's maybe why some of your readers want to read about that time period because of the resilience of the men and women back then? I think so, um, because you see them facing dangers that we don't necessarily have now. I mean, when you think about 
medical care in the 19th century. I mean, I shudder every time I think about what they used to call heroic medicine, mm. you know, bleeding and purging and blistering, I mean, horrible, horrible things. And yet people survived that. And, they did, didn't you know, they? They had to be strong. There was a great deal of inner strength as well as, well, yeah, a lot of strength. Mm. I agree. I mean, when I read read some of the Laura Ingalls Wilder books, you know, Little House on the Prairie, and then later on watched the television show. And time after time, those folks would go through so many hardships, and yet they would still remain strong in their faith. And that's kind of what I gleaned from historical novels, is how these people overcome obstacles and still remain strong. Now, let's talk about this beautiful book, The Spark of Love. Can you give us a little information about this book? Uh, well, it's the third in the Mesquite Springs series, and so obviously it wraps things up. It's a little different from the first two books in that we have two villains. I usually have a villain because... Uh, readers have learned to expect a bit of suspense from me, and you can't have that without the bad guys. But this time I have two. And let me tell you, that presented some challenges in the whole writing process, but it, it also made it fun. And another thing that's different is that because it's the last book in the series, I was able to give characters from earlier books more of a story than they might have had. These are secondary characters. There was a character in the first book, Out of the Embers, who needed redemption. And you don't see him in book two, but he comes back in book three. And you get to see what's happened to him and how he has changed. Because I really do believe that people can change if they want to, if they're given the right impetus, and so we see that. Ooh, I love that theme, the redemption of him. That's really neat. Two villains. Wow, did you find that as a to be a challenge to write their two plot arcs, you know? Um, it was, and I don't think I'll do it again, <laughs> because the biggest challenge was making sure that readers understood that they were different men with somewhat different motivations. And, you know, it's it's kind of easy to make villains look all one way, you know, I mean, make them single dimensional, unidimensional. Mm -hmm. um, giving them more complexity is harder, but of course it makes them more realistic to readers. And that is what I tried to do with these two, but to keep them distinct and also to keep them from overwhelming or taking over the story, uh, because obviously it is a romance. So the primary story is surrounds Alexandra and Gabe. But we've got these two guys who kind of want to keep things different. And, you know, they've got their own plans for Alexandra. Mm. So what was your inspiration? I mean, it's set in the Texas Hill Country. What made you want to write this story? Well, in this book, I explore family dynamics. Mm. And 
the way our families influence us. Um, when you look at Alexandra, her mother died when she was quite young. And her father at that time, you would think, might have remarried and given her a stepmother. He didn't do that, nor did he raise her on his own. Instead, although they lived in Ohio, he sends her back to New York City to be raised by a great aunt. Imagine how this makes Alexandra feel. Rejected? Unloved? I mean, just think about the things that would go through her mind as a young child being sent off to live with this elderly woman and wondering, well, why didn't my father want me with him? And of course, that impacts many, many things that she does, and it impacts who she is as a person. That's powerful, and a lot of your readers can probably relate to that, too. Hope they do. <laughs> now, this is a fictional town, though, a small town in the Texas Hill Country, uh, and you have been quoted as saying that you know that your readers love small towns. There's just something about the small town feel, though, isn't there? I think there is. Um, there's a closeness and about it where... And part of this is the fact that it's 19th century, too. Mm -hmm. There's a real sense of community. People look out for each other. And then, of course, you have the, the uh, rumor mill, which is always very active in a small town, and the matchmakers and those people. But it's um, there is something really, really appealing about small towns. And I think one of the reasons why they appeal to me so much is that I lived in a small town in Texas, not in the hill country, but from the time that I was about two until I was seven when my parents moved to the Northeast. And so my earliest memories are of small town life. It's just like um, a slower pace in the small town and that quaintness, you know, everybody knows everybody, which can be wonderful, but I'm sure at times it can be difficult too when everybody knows your story, right? <laughs> yeah, if things are going well, then mm. it's wonderful. If, you know, if they're interfering with you or, you know, the, the typical busybody, here is the way to do everything, you know, and I've been here forever, so I'm gonna tell you how to do it. And you don't get as much of that in a large city. That's true, isn't it? Well, I love reading about small towns. It is uh, a quaintness. Or no, no, it's just, I live in a big city, so it is nice to just escape to the small town living. When we were first married, we moved from the big city to a small town in North Carolina, and it was shock. It was quite a shock for me. Mm -hmm. uh, my husband was overseas, so it was just me in town. But after the first fall, and I saw all the festivals, and then going into Christmas, and I don't know. I fell in love with it. It was just so beautiful. And now you're in Phoenix. <laughs> now I'm back in Phoenix. <laughs> oh, well. So imagine you have a new writer, someone new to the writing industry standing in front of you, and they might be a little down. Because as you and I both know, it's pretty tough right now writing industry it's constantly changing and it's it's not the way it was years ago it's different and change can be good but sometimes change can make it difficult to break into this into this business so what advice about handling rejection 
would you give to that new writer standing before you? Well, I would start off by saying don't ever give up. Because if you give up, you're becoming defeated and you don't want to do that. The other thing is to remember that there's no way around it. Rejection hurts. It always will. However, it gets easier if you learn how to cope with it. Uh, I highly recommend chocolate. <laughs> there are lots of other ways of coping with, uh, with rejection. And it's also important to understand the phases that you go through when you receive a rejection. There is uh, a very famous woman, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who wrote about the stages that people go through when they're facing death mm -hmm. or someone near them is dying. It turns out that we go through those same phases when we get a rejection. And believe me, I am speaking from personal experience here. It's uh, because I've had many, many rejections in my writing career. There's something called the SARA model, and that's an acronym. It stands for shock, anger, resistance, acceptance, and hope. Shock is the first stage. And at that point, you can expect that your behavior is irrational. I mean, you just, no matter whether you know the statistics or not, I mean, I remember my very first rejection. I had sent a manuscript to Harlequin. I knew that only a small, a tiny, tiny percentage of manuscripts were accepted, but I was going to be one of those. I got a form rejection letter. I couldn't believe it. It was like, this tells me nothing. I was in, and I had to go to a wedding that afternoon. I can't tell you anything about the wedding. I mean, I was sitting there like, this didn't really happen. Mm -hmm. That's followed by anger. This is when you're going, how could they possibly have been so stupid as to reject my manuscript? It's the finest prose in the English language. <laughs> That's the time when you don't lash out at the editor. <laughs> then we get into resistance, or some would call it denial. You know, you're getting a little past it, but your energy is still diverted from writing. Then, then we reach acceptance, which is, okay, I got this rejection, but you know what? The world didn't end. I'm still here. And the final stage is hope. And that's where we say, hey, it's going to be different the next time. So coping through each of these phases, when you're in, you'll get through shock fairly quickly. When you're in anger, I recommend primal screen therapy. Um, actually, what I recommend is calling a friend, a writing friend, and saying, hey, you, won't, you get, won't believe what happened. I got rejected. Vent at the friend. It helps. Um, then when you get into resistance, the key is to write. Start writing another book. In fact, when you first send a manuscript out, you should be, the day that you send a manuscript out, you should be working on something else. Because, of course, that helps you with the hope stage. Mm -hmm. You know, it's called, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Mm -hmm. Always have another project. Uh, then you want to have positive affirmations. 
remind yourself, I am a writer. I have finished a manuscript. Do you know how many people start manuscripts and never finish them? The fact that you have finished that says you are special and don't ever, ever forget that. And of course, as I said, just a little bit of uh, chocolate here and there helps. It never hurts, does it? <laughs> wow. The one thing that I would say, besides don't give up, believe in yourself, is we need to stop thinking about rejection as a dead end. Instead, consider it a detour. Okay, I did. My manuscript wasn't expected by this. By wasn't accepted by this editor, but there's going to be someone else. So maybe I'm detouring to another publishing house. Maybe if I've received a lot of rejections and they've actually been helpful ones that told me what the editor didn't like, maybe that's telling me I need to change this a bit. So think about it, as I said, as a detour. You're still proceeding along this path toward publication and you're not going to let anything defeat you because you are a writer. And don't ever, ever forget that. Wow, wise words indeed. Thank you for sharing that. I hadn't heard of the SARA acronym before. That is very a very succinct way to explain how to survive the rejections that we get as writers in, in life, frankly. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, it's that model works for so many things. Um, people who are laid off from their jobs go through those same steps. I mean, anything any major negative thing that has happened in your life, you will go through those phases. And one of the things that's interesting about it is that the progress might not be linear. I mean, I was saying, okay, you're gonna go shock, anger, resistance, acceptance, hope. You might get to resistance or acceptance and then something happens that makes you revert to anger. It, that happens, but understanding that will help you cope with it and you'll know, you know this is normal i'm gonna get out of this i will survive exactly as long as you use it as a catalyst to continue and i love how you started it don't give up well said i love that well amanda cabot thank you so much for joining me today this has been so rewarding <laughs> inspirational and I really look forward to the spark of love. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. As I said, it's just been a real pleasure. Wow. Thank you to Amanda Cabot. Wasn't she amazing? So inspirational. And we are blessed that we had her here to talk with us. I hope that you've been encouraged and inspired to keep going on your writing journey. I know it's tempting to give up at times, but don't. Never give up keep going forward one step at a time. And until next time, God bless.